I'm Jake Mintz. And I'm Jordan Schusterman. On this episode of Baseball Barbacast, we are talking about Shohei Otani. Ever heard of him? He hit a home run in a spring training game. Of course, we're going to talk about that, as well as catching up on some of the other moves we missed while we were away. Brandon Woodruff back to the Brewers. Jorge Soler is on the Giants, and so is Pablo Sandoval for some reason, as well as a handful of other moves and extensions. Bobby Witt Jr. with Kansas City forever, as well as Jose Altuve with Houston. And because it is a baseball podcast episode in the year 2024, we will talk about uniforms again. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Hello and welcome to Baseball Barbacast, the only baseball podcast in the world thinking about Chris Coglin on Leap Day. I'm Jake Mintz. That's Jordan Schusterman. And we're hopping into March. Oh my gosh. What a what a great introduction. Chris Coglin. Uh he he had a career, but he will always be defined by that leap of faith uh, at home plate. And I'm I'm glad you reminded me that it is indeed a leap year. Do you know who he jumped over? Who did he jump over? I'm trying to picture it. Was it against, it was with the Cubs and it was against the Cardinals? He was on the Blue Jays and he jumped over Yadier Molina, who we will get to okay, a I was little gonna, bit later. I was going to say Yadier Molina, but I think I picture, I'm picturing him doing it with the Cubs. So, okay. So I, I sort of remembered that. Um, but I'm happy uh, to be talking to you on this fine Wednesday morning, Jake. If I am a little, if, if I, if I, you know, stumble on some facts today, I would like a slight, ex- uh, you know, excuse, a, a little bit of a, a pass. I was up at, at 4 a.m. Uh, sitting in my basement due to a tornado warning. So it's been a, an interesting uh, evening here in the Midwest, but I am awake. I am excited. I got a, a few extra minutes in the middle of the night to think about how Tim Anderson fits with the Marlins. And we are yep. going to get into that as well as so many other moves that we missed. I know we, we focused on Bellinger, but this is the real catch-up episode. We're going to be efficient. We are going to talk about the Nationals throwing ball for sometimes hard, sometimes not, and so much more. Uh, but of course, I believe we are going to start with uh, this, this designated hitter on the Dodgers. Is that true? Yeah, we'll talk about Shohei Otani in a second. I just want to say thank you to everybody who welcomed us back to the podcasting world. Like we said on our last show, we're amped to be back, amped to be with Yahoo. You can now watch us on video, and I know a lot of people did. The response <laughs> has been really heartwarming, and it's good to be back. Yes, no, it is It is very cool to, uh, again, I, I think over time, eventually, if we're doing well, we will probably end up reaching some people on YouTube that we don't necessarily intend to. The YouTube comment section is always a fun place, but it has been incredibly kind and welcoming so far. And I am so glad that our our, our show's on YouTube. It's, just, it's fun for us to go back and, and watch some of it and be like, hey, how did that sound slash look? Um, and so I'm excited to be here. Being in two places at once, Shohei Otani. Hmm. Mm-hmm. What, what do you? Oh, oh, well, more than two, more than two places. Otani's doing one thing right now. I, I don't even remember that the sky pitches. We are going to begin, of course, with him uh, before we get into the moves and extensions that we missed in our first episode back. Uh, Jake, you're not going to believe this, but the guy who led the American League in home runs last year has not forgotten how to hit home runs. I saw it with my own two eyes in live batting practice uh, when I was in Arizona. It was actually a very, very similar sequence where he stood in the box for his first at-bat and just didn't swing and was kind of processing the information. Uh, And then he hit a ground ball, uh, 
again, he grounded to a double play in a second at bat. And then he was like, all right, that is, I have seen all I need to see. It is now time for me to deposit a baseball over the fence. He takes a fastball. He hits it about as high. I wish we had StatCast for all spring training for a million reasons, but I would have loved to know what the launch angle was on this opposite field blast off of Dominic Leone. Uh, and it was like, yep, yeah, of course, of course he did. And then he immediately uh, left because that's what you do in spring training when you're a good player and you've played your five innings, you you leave. Uh, it's one of the best and worst parts about spring training. <laughs> do not pass go. Do not collect $200. It, it reminds me of when an NFL player will like score a touchdown to end the half and just keep <laughs> running into the tunnel. That's what you should do. Otani homers, mm-hmm. rounds the bases, jogs into the dugout, picks up his bag and runs into the clubhouse. And that's his day. One quick last thing about Otani. A year ago, Bryce Harper's miraculous recovery from Tommy John was a huge storyline, and it was incredible. Okay, I believe Bryce got the surgery in early mid November. Yeah, if like I a remember month later correctly. Than Otani. But a yeah. month later than Otani, Bryce came back in May. Right, mm-hmm. came back in May, and wasn't really himself. For the first couple months of the year. Now, I know it's a little bit different because they're different people and everybody is different. Everybody is different. However, Otani being at this point in the timeline looking like himself already is very notable no. because <laughs> is he going to out Bryce Bryce? Pro- probably. Uh, yeah. <laughs> respectfully. Now, of course, you could say, well, we don't actually know if he really did get Tommy John surgery. He got his mystery elbow surgery that we're still wondering what it was. But elbow surgery is elbow surgery. And by the way, the other thing that, that does not seem to be relevant at this point is at some point he's going to have to start preparing to pitch again. That does not yeah. seem to be really at all his focus right now, which is understandable. Uh, but yeah, I mean, th- that kind of opposite field power, of course, even he said afterwards, he's like, yeah, I thought I hit it too high. Like, I didn't think this was a real home run. Arizona, you know, the ball is going to fly there. That's fine. Uh, but it's still it is still a reminder that he is he again, he's he's a showman, man. The guy the guy knows how to deliver. And uh, for that, uh, we are thankful. I know people are going to get exhausted and, and sick of it. I know there's Giants fans that want to block the ad MLB account for tweeting every time Otani sneezes. I get it. But look, it's not his fault. This guy is that freaking good and that freaking cool and that freaking important to our sport. And because yeah. of that, I'm, I, don't, I don't mind. I don't mind seeing it, uh, as much Otani stuff as possible. I think it's easy and understandable to be cynical until he swings. And then when he swings... That should go out the window. Appreciate the wonder. I will say, though, quickly, uh, before we move on to another Dodgers topic and start hitting these moves, my biggest takeaway from that game was Garrett Crochet is throwing 100 miles an hour again. Uh, And I know the White Sox, you know, they posted their, their clip of him striking out and being like, you know, a, whatever, a story in three parts. Boom, Crochet strikes out Otani. What a beast. But, like, no, seriously, if Garrett Crochet is throwing 100 again, that's that's a doesn't mean the White Sox aren't going to finish in last. But that is someone that is someone I'm, I'm actually going to be excited to watch uh, on the White Sox this year. Um, so anyway, good for Garrett Crochet. All right, let's stick with the Dodgers, Jake. And let's start, let's start getting, going through these moves. Again, so much happened. We're still not going to get to everything. Again, I don't think we're going to give our Phil Maton thoughts. But let's stick with the Dodgers, not just because... We have to talk about Clayton Kershaw, uh, but also because they made some moves even in the last couple of days that I think are worthy of talking about. But let's start with Kershaw. Kershaw, we last saw him uh, basically getting embarrassed on a postseason mound, somehow even by his standards to a degree that we have not seen. And uh, you're going to roll your eyes because it's like, oh, you're, that's unfair. The Kershaw play, playoff narrative is, is unfair. And that's true. And listen, Clayton Kershaw is one of the greatest pitchers of all time. And he defeated his demons. He won a World Series. He has nothing to prove. However, when you give up, what was it, five runs, six runs uh, to the Diamondbacks on, at home and the series is basically over before it begins and people were wondering if you're healthy, that was, that was not a good way to go out. And he entered the offseason as a free agent wondering, okay, it was that it for Clayton Kershaw? And I think, understandably, when you know Clayton Kershaw, the competitor, the answer was a resounding no, even if that means rehabbing uh, shoulder surgery. The first surgery, at least publicly, that he's had, which is notable when you're at his age and you've played baseball for that long. As is the case every winter, Clayton Kershaw was presented with three <laughs> options. Retire, Dodgers, Rangers. He's from Texas. That's been a rumor forever. And he opted yet again to go with Dodgers. Essentially, it is a two-year deal for $10 million. 
What's interesting now is the Dodgers have leaned on Clayton Kershaw for so long. And this will be the first time, the first season, where they're not going to have to do that. Anything he gives them feels like bonus, feels like icing on the cake. They have built their roster, built their pitching staff to thrive and survive without Clayton Kershaw. I will be very interested to see how that impacts him when he gets back from injury at some point, I would say, in the middle of the summer. Yeah, and I think the other thing just to remember is I I trust that he is, of course, and and the Dodgers are going to give him every opportunity, shoulder surgery at this age. Not that he's as old as he actually, in terms of the mileage on his arm, is much more significant than his actual age. Um, but shoulder surgery is no joke. So we don't really know exactly how he, he you know, he is going to respond to this. Uh, but I know he's going to try. And I also just know that <laughs> to your point though, like if this Dodgers rotation is healthy, when he comes back, it is going to be really interesting to see how they work him back in. Now, I don't think they're going to have any problems telling Emmett Sheehan, sorry, bud, you're throwing the, the fifth and sixth now. But remember, Walker Bueller is still not even this projected rotation right now, right? If you look at it right now, it's Yamamoto, Glass now, Bobby Miller, James Paxton. That's another one who, it, it, in some ways, it's it's built to not have Kershaw. In other ways, it's built to have Kershaw come back when the other guys are struggling. So in that respect, uh, it definitely makes sense. But, hey, yeah, if you pen Kershaw, maybe that fastball goes up to 94 again. <laughs> you know, who maybe knows? Clayton could come back with a changeup that we've that's, been waiting that's for. the real question is is does he come back you know it's just a completely different pitcher that would really be uh something to behold um but kershaw is obviously not going to impact the dodgers at the beginning of the season they did make one move over the last couple of days that was kind of unintentionally funny uh and this 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 genre of move i think is something i've certainly become familiar with as a mariners fan because jerry depoto does this all the time but this was a little bit different the trading a guy away before he actually even plays for you in the regular season. Now, the Mariners have done this during the offseason where they acquire someone and trade them before anyone reports the camp. However, that was not the case for or, one Manuel Margot. Or reports the trade. Like, reports it feels the like very often in the, in the circumstance where a player is traded and then immediately traded to another team, it all happens within the span of 24 hours or at least two weeks, right? Marco yes. Gonzalez, this mm-hmm. offseason was traded from the Mariners to the Braves, and it became obvious pretty quickly that that's not where he was going to pitch this year, and then he was traded to the Pirates. Mm -hmm. For Manny Margot, who was dealt to the Dodgers in the Tyler Glasnow deal, he felt like a piece of the puzzle for the Dodgers. He made sense. He made a lot of sense. I mean, again... Of course, the, the Rays were trying to move off of the salary, and you know he was making a decent chunk of money for someone who's essentially a platoon outfielder, but a platoon outfielder that is still a damn good defender and one that fits great next to Jason Hayward. And, and so, hits lefties well. Okay, he hits lefties well. He's again, it, it made sense the outfield. Even even you could see him also, you know, platooning with Outman if Outman was struggling, you know, with with left-handed pitching. So he he made plenty of sense. So no one when he you know shows up at Dodgers camp and and I saw him there and he's he's meshing and he's hanging out with Teoscar Hernandez. It's like okay, Manny Margot's going to be in the Dodgers. Like I know it's not right. the biggest move of their of their winter, but it makes plenty of sense. And then disaster. And then, yeah. And then really what 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 ended up happening was there was another team that needed Manny Margot a lot more <laughs> than yeah. the Los Angeles Dodgers. And that turned out to be the Minnesota Twins, who I believe on the same day that Byron Buxton returned to play center field for them for the first time in like two years, they traded for Manny Margot as a sign of saying, hey, not only do we need some more right-handed outfield uh, mix because they have so many left-handed outfielders, we also probably need a little bit of insurance for Buxton. Of course, they had Michael A. Taylor, who, by the way, is still a free agent and someone who I think would help a lot of teams. But Manny Margot, they decide to bring him in. It seems like the Dodgers paid down the salary. They trade away Noah Miller, uh, an infield prospect that they had that they drafted very highly recently. Um, Dodgers, you know, again, making a deal where they're kind of clearing off their 40-man for a move we'll talk about in a second. They're adding at the low levels of their system in, in a shortstop like Noah Miller. Good defender. We'll see if he can hit. And Manny Margot goes to the goes to the Twins, which for Margot logistically is is a is a tough bounce. Yeah, having to go from Arizona to Florida in the middle of spring training that's a real schlep. Even though I don't think Manny Margot knows the word schlep, uh, <laughs> hopefully someone can. Hey, he's uh, more likely to now. I mean, he did spend a lot of time in Florida, um, but in terms of where the word schlep is being thrown around, I think it's probably more likely in Florida uh, than in Southern California. But I could be wrong about that. <laughs> Jordan, what will yeah. you remember most from the Manny Margot Dodgers era? 
Well, what's going to stick with you? Yeah, I'm really glad you documented it. I'm glad you put out the the highlight reel. I think that it was a fitting tribute, one that yeah. I don't even think the Dodgers are going to do. Right. I don't know if the Twins are playing at Dodger Stadium this year. You know, will he get a welcome back? Yeah, I don't. I doubt it. Like, w- probably not. Well, of the six spring training plate appearances he had, did you have a favorite? No, for me, it'll be when I was in the Dodgers clubhouse last week and it was him and Teoscar and Nelson Cruz, who is randomly a special assistant for the Dodgers right now, all just just chopping it up. Just, you know, three Dominican outfielders having a damn good time. Little Mm. did Manny know he would be off uh, to Fort Myers in the near future. By the way, I wanted to shout out the twin social team because they posted like a specific Manny Margot is here post with like a picture of him mm-hmm. smiling, walking in. I love that because at the very least he deserves for, for all of his trouble, he does deserve like a, like a hearty welcome. And of course the twins are going to do that. So I, I like now, to see that for him. Manny Margot's biggest issue as it relates to the Dodgers, I think is that he's not Kike Hernandez and Kike Hernandez that simple. is, yeah. and has always been, <laughs> and will likely continue to be Kike Hernandez. And yeah. that, helps him beyond the Dodgers. Uh, the Dodgers signed Kike Hernandez to backfill Manny Margot's job. Uh, I don't feel like talking about it. He's going to be fine. He's going to play a lot of positions and he's going to make people laugh in the room. Simple as. It's um, yeah, it's the same move, except he can also play infield. So, you know, I bingo. guess that makes him slightly less, slightly more valuable on top of the fact that they all obviously know him and love him. From the Dodgers to the Giants, let's head up the coast and talk about a deal that we missed when we were on our hiatus. San Francisco Giants, who have had one of the weirder off-seasons in recent memory, one of the weirder last two off-seasons in recent memories, they signed Jorge Soler for three years and $42 million. The Giants have missed out on Correa, sort of, on, <laughs> on Judge, on purpose. They could have just they forged could've. through with that, that contract, and clearly that was not what, what they wanted to do. Otani, they remember they tried to trade for Giancarlo Stanton that one time. He didn't want to go there. The Giants Bryce have been Harper, looking for a slugger Yamamoto, for a long, also, long time. You know, they've, they've tried for, for a lot, for both sides of the ball. And this was one that, you know, Soler was still lingering out there. And someone that I just I just thought was was undervalued. Um, and obviously, San Francisco as a ballpark is not necessarily someone where everybody wants to come hit. But when you've got probably 70-grade power like Jorge Soler does, uh, he's like, yeah, sure, no problem. I got it. Not an issue for me. I can come hit home runs in San Francisco. Jordan, do you know the last San Francisco Giant with a 30 home run season? I do. I do. Although now I'm wondering who the last right-handed hitter for the San Francisco Giants uh, to hit 30 home runs. The answer is Barry Bonds. I believe in his <laughs> final season or one of or no, I don't because didn't he only hit 28 in uh, 2007? Um, so it was before that. It was must have been 2004. <laughs> okay, so that is I would say that is probably one of the craziest team-related fun facts that we that we have still going. Uh, but it makes sense in some respects. But it is also like a. a kind of says a lot about how the Giants have acquired and developed hitters, you know, since Barry Bonds. Um, 30 is, and by the way, like 30 in that park is a lot. And Soler, who of course had a career high 48 in 2019, but he had 36 in 2023. He's as good a pet as anybody, but it's not a guarantee that Jorge Soler is going to hit 30 home runs this year. And part of that is because while he has been very productive from a power standpoint, you know, when he's been healthy, you know, health has been an issue. And and he's been streaky at times, but I love this guy. I mean, his career has been has been really interesting. When it kind of took a while for it to really get off the ground after those years in Chicago and even in Kansas City, you know, it took him a while to really find it. But uh, he is a a traditional slugger in every sense. It does seem like they see him as the DH. We're not going to see him have to roam around that giant outfield, which is probably for the best. And he he does add something to this Giants team that gets them a little bit closer to thinking, okay, maybe maybe if a lot goes right, they can be a wild card team. The Lineup is undeniably better, just to be clear. Like, it is better. Um, it's not outstanding, but with Solaire in the middle of it, it definitely adds uh, another component to it. The last right-handed hitter to hit 30 home runs for the Giants uh, was 2002. Both Jeff Kent uh, and Rich Aurelia did it that year. Marco Luciano, uh, Luciano who is uh, probably going to be the starting uh, shortstop for the Giants this year, was one year old in 2002, the last year 
that somebody, a right-handed hitter, hit 30 home runs for them. I love Soler. I think he's really underrated. Whenever he's healthy, he bangs. Whenever he's hurt or battling through an injury, he's either not playing, duh, or less good. And so if he could stay on the field, I think he's awesome. Look at the numbers from 2016 Cubs who have moved on to other pastures. And Soler's offensive numbers are right up there with everybody except for Kyle Schwarber, who's in a different level. He has more World Series rings than the rest of the Giants' 40-man roster combined. The only other person with a ring on the roster is Luke Jackson, who was on the 2021 Braves with Jorge Soler. Speaking of, that home run he hit in Game 6 of the 2021 World Series, we were in the building for it. Unforgettable. That is an unforgettable baseball moment. Go watch that clip back. It is arguably the biggest undersell by John Smoltz ever. (laughs) His call of that is... (laughs) Especially because, Uh like, the critique of Smoltz would be that he's a Braves fan, right? No, opposite. Mm -hmm. Um, Horia Soler (laughs) rules. I'm all in on him. I think he looks incredibly cool in uniform, and I can't wait to see him on the Giants. I like when the Giants sign big guys, too. Like, the Giants have Giants. I think that's fun. That's true. And and to that point, uh, first of all, I just want to quickly say... The key to this whole Giants offense is still going to be what Jung Huli is. And I am a believer in him. Um, I, I know there are Giants fans that are really excited about him. I believe in his long-term offensive ceiling. But as far as competing this year, it's going to be all about what he can actually produce out of the leadoff spot. But you mentioned there, Jake, you said, oh, only he has more World Series rings than everybody on the roster. But Jake Mintz, there's somebody who's there in Scottsdale, not on the roster, who has three World Series rings. And for some reason, that is Pablo Sandoval. And I do not know what pr- prompted this, but I think we have to acknowledge it. He is in campus and on restroom invitee. Farhan Zaidi joked that he signed him so that Sandoval would stop sending him workout videos to basically prove to him that I am ready to play baseball again. He's 37. He did not play baseball last year anywhere besides, I guess, in the last year he played in Dubai for two days. Uh, He was in the Mexican League in 2022. (laughs) Remember, this is the guy who was, he was briefly, of course, with the Braves after the Giants, when he had gone back to the Giants after the Red Sox disaster. He was traded for Eddie Rosario, another important moment in that 2021 Braves season. Uh, which is is bizarre, uh, by the Braves to Cleveland for Eddie Rosario. So he's a weird part of that baseball history. But now he's just around camp. And this is the most blurred line I have ever seen between, respectfully, between an actual guy making a comeback and come out and hang out. Here's a former legend here for the vibes. I, I can't quite like this doesn't like if I'm Bob Melvin, I'm like, are we really serious about this? <laughs> like respectfully I, to Bob Zandoval, I just don't understand this. Like for, tell me I'm wrong. Like I just it's it's very strange. Like he was he was batting fifth in the spring training game the other day. I think it might be like, oh, well, sure, Pablo, like give it a go, guys. <laughs> like and the Giants are just happy to have him around. What I'm gathering from this is that yeah. if I pepper general managers with workout videos of myself, I will get an invitation to spring training. I would say, you know, we were around baseball. I probably have like seven or eight GMs phone numbers. And this is a warning to all of them who listen to the pod. So none of them, now that I know how to get an invite (laughs) to spring training, you're going to get videos of me at the local planet fitness, no free ads doing my curls. Okay. And I expect an email back. Hey, uh, Blake Snell and Matt Chapman, Jordan Montgomery. Apparently, it's this easy. Scott Boris, I don't know what you're waiting for. Just send Farhan a video of Matt Chapman doing a couple push-ups, and it's game over. You're getting that fourth or fifth year that you're looking for. So I don't Look, know what the, dog, I don't know what the wait is. I'll play for free. I'll play for free. Uh, one <laughs> Giants legend who is not in camp with the Giants because he's in camp elsewhere. Brandon Crawford. <laughs> Brandon Crawford signed a one-year, $2 million deal with the St. Louis Cardinals. It is the first time he has played for any team that is not the Giants. He looks weird as hell in a Cardinals uniform, weird as hell in another uniform. Uh, this move from like a logistical perspective, Mason Wynn is the Cardinal shortstop. He's young. He's raw. He has a lot of development left to do. They want Brandon Crawford to kind of be around him, help tutor him on the defensive side of things, uh, and then spell Crawford a little – or spell Wynn whenever he needs a day off so that they can focus on Tommy Edmond, who played a lot of shortstop last year, only playing the outfield. That's fine. It makes sense. 
Crawford is only like, I think two years ago, he was coming off. So I guess 2021, he got MVP votes. Like he was an incredible hitter. There is a chance he's not that player anymore. Whatever. I, My I favorite mean, thing chance, about this I is it's <laughs> two years of being a very bad hitter, but he's still a damn good shortstop. So can't take that away from him. So my favorite part, though, is the quote he said. I think this was in a Derek Gould article. Quote, I've always liked the Cardinals organization from across the field. Yeah, I bet you do. Quote, they are one of a couple of teams I would come to spring training out here in Florida for. And that echoes my point that Florida, not not ideal, and baseball players okay. know it. They'd much rather be in Arizona. But but to that point, let's 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 follow up on this. Yeah. Um, who are the others? Uh, who do we think he would be willing to like? I I would guess. See, Yankees. I'm not sure, considering his facial and hair situation. Um, who the Red Sox? The Braves. He smells the Braves. Everyone would be on the Braves if they yeah. could. Uh, yeah. The Red Sox. I don't know if he wants to live in Boston, but he just looks like he should be on the Red Sox, so that fits mm-hmm. for me. And I think mm-hmm. those are the only teams. Jordan. Yeah. Let's fly through. A number mm-hmm. of transactions here, and then we're going to take a quick break. Let's just. Take I'm going to read the Let's transactions. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'll do it. I'll I'll, I'll 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 hit you with some rapid fire fuego. Go. I'm Go. I'm excited. Uh, all right. Let's begin. Uh, let's do the Brewers quickly. I, when you said a, a former Giants legend who's not with with the Giants anymore, I thought you were going to say Gary Sanchez, Gary and, or Jake Junis for that matter. <laughs> Jake Junis, both of which signed with the Brewers, uh, as well as Brandon Woodruff. Cool to see Brandon Woodruff kind of go back. Uh, again, a guy who we know is not going to pitch this year after shoulder surgery. But as far as Brewers kind of still cultivating good vibes, especially after the Corbin Burns trade, keeping Woodruff in-house, where, of course, he's comfortable, I think makes a lot of sense, even if he's not going to help them this year. Gary Sanchez, I love this because we know where Brewer, where catchers go to thrive. It's Milwaukee. I don't really see why they need him very much, so that part is a little bit strange. But I think Gary Sanchez is still like a totally fine catcher, and I saw some other teams that I think could have used him more. But if I'm Gary, I'm like, yeah, sure, I'll go hit there, get 200 plate appearances, and they can turn me into you know Johnny Bench defensively. Like sounds good to me. Um, and then Jake Junis is probably going to throw like 180 innings for them. So just mentally prepare yourself for that. The Brewers turned William Contreras into an elite defender last year, and I expect them to help Gary get a little bit better. The Marlins. Signed Tim Anderson. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm just happy that Tim Anderson found somewhere to play baseball. I think he's got something left in the tank. I don't know if that's the best place for him, considering the Marlins have been awful at developing or helping hitters get better. And I hope that he is good. Yeah. I, hope that he's I mean, good. and relevant. Again, Baseball's better when Tim Anderson is relevant. A hundred percent. And it's their first major league free agent that they signed all offseason. He does fit for them. I, I like I imagine he's excited to have a shortstop job. We assumed maybe he was going to have to move to second base. But to me, I mean, this is going to be about Tim Anderson being healthy and, and figuring shit out on his own. You know, I hope the Marlins can help him. But as from a player development standpoint, I hope that he can he can make it happen. Uh, they also traded for Nick Gordon, which is interesting. I think he's someone, again, another bounce back candidate who was really good a couple years ago. If he's healthy, I think he can really fit in with Miami as well. Uh, the Tigers signed Gio Urshela. I think the Tigers are still a great landing spot for Matt Chapman, but maybe not as much anymore. The one thing I'll say about Gio Urshela, again, I, I just don't think this guy's very bad. I, I think he was hurt last year, and I think he can help them. So I, it's clearly also very much a bridge to Jace Young and you know Justin Henry Malloy, that next wave of third baseman. I like Gio Urshela. If he's healthy, I think he can help them. Rays sign Ahmed Rosario. Makes plenty of sense, although their infield is, even after losing Wander Franco, who will probably never play baseball again, they still have so many infielders that I'm trying to figure out how they are all going to fit, uh, but I'm sure they will make it work. Um, although I will mention that the Junior Caminero home run, we're going to have to talk more about Junior Caminero as the season approaches. I just wanted to put that into the uh, universe so that you can hold me accountable in case we don't talk about Junior Caminero. That is my takeaway <laughs> from the Ahmed Rosario yeah. signing is that Junior Caminero, who is one of the top prospects in baseball, came up at the end of the year for them last year. It smells like he will begin the year in the minor leagues and Rosario will take some of that playing time in the majors. The Red Sox signed Liam Hendricks, who I saw when I was at Red Sox camp and talked to Liam Hendricks, obviously unbelievable story, had cancer, came back last year, his elbow blew out. He said the other day when I was there that he never really felt healthy, that pitchers are always pitching through stuff, got Tommy John. He's going to be rehabbing up until, I think, his goal is the trade deadline, is what he said. 
He's looking to be ready by the trade deadline um, and is planning to be able to help the Red Sox this year. I believe there's a team option for him for next year. Philadelphia Phillies signed Spencer Turnbull, Whit Merrifield. This is just relevant because the Phillies uh, didn't add any new faces to their clubhouse this winter, except for these two guys. Uh, the day I was there was Spencer Turnbull's first day. It was very funny. Everyone was introducing themselves to Spencer Turnbull because he was the only person that the writers <laughs> could introduce themselves to because they knew everybody else already. Can I, I, I do want your opinion on, on the Whitmerfield fit here because he's someone that I think, again, he's kind of a player that because he is like, you know, first percentile exit velocity and people just don't think he's as, as fun of a player. To have. Like, how much playing time do you see him getting? Because he had some quotes being like, you know, I've, I've done all these things. I've, I've been an all-star. I've won batting titles. Like, I just want to win. Like, and I get that from him. But wh- where does he kind of fit into the Phillies mix? Because uh, to me, he's, he's pretty clearly like a bench guy that isn't going to play that much. He's not going to play that much. There is a possibility that Johan Rojas their center fielder who is with them in the playoffs starts the year in AAA to work on his hitting. And in that case, Brandon Marsh would move to center and Whit Merrifield would more or less be the everyday left fielder with Kyle Schwarber being the DH. That is one possibility. If they choose to have Rojas on the opening day roster, Merrifield will be the bench guy. Let's keep yeah. moving forward. Yeah. Hyunjin yeah. Ryu <laughs> done MLB back to Korea with the Hanwha Eagles. Yes. Hyunjin Ryu, criminally underrated in the big leagues. Sad to see I him mean, go. I, I mean, listen, he is, uh, alongside, you know, Chan Ho Park, the, the most successful Korean pitcher in, in big league history. A guy who had his career begin with the Hanwha Eagles, was amazing in Korea, and now he gets to go back there, which is very cool. Kind of reminiscent to, to Shin Su Chu going back and playing in the KBO. Although, in this case, you know, he had already pitched, or he had already you know pitched for Hanwha in a way that Chu had not actually played in the KBO before the end of his career. So, he's super fun to watch. I thought he could have helped the big league team. Honestly, it feels like when Tanaka went back to Japan. It was like, this dude's still good. Like, I don't know why he still isn't, a, you know, a four starter for some some major league team, but I'm sure it'll be very cool to see him uh, back in the KBO. Uh, but one more before we say goodbye or before we say goodbye, before we take a break, Jake, who's not signed is Joseph Daniel Votto. Joey Votto. Joey Votto is is the, the freest of agents. And the way that I know <laughs> this is because he's posting uh, Instagram stories regularly Basically being like, this is ridiculous. How am I not signed? In a very Joey Votto way. Basically posting videos of him doing random everyday activities and being like, this isn't spring training. What the heck? He posts one yesterday (laughs) threatening to not put his shopping carts back in the shopping cart corral if nobody signs him soon, which is very Joey Votto and amazing. But I think we should acknowledge this one. Again, there's plenty of other free agents out there. and, And that's the problem is that the reality of the situation is as long as the super duper top guys are still out there, I feel like Joey's just going to kind of get pushed aside. There's a couple other guys like this where he just cannot possibly be a priority for teams right now. Obviously as a 40 year old DH um, who maybe is only competent against right-handed pitching, that's a limited skill set. but I will say I am actually surprised that he hasn't found a deal yet. Um, And I hope that I, again, people are being pretty dramatic saying this is, you know, a a shame on society that he hasn't signed yet. And yeah, obviously I I agree to some degree, but um, I'm really curious how this goes because having been around Joey last year, like it's, it's very simple. He wants to play. He really, really wants to play. He believes that he, if healthy, he can still help a big, big league team. I do believe that. Uh, But I am curious where this goes because of the farther we get into spring training. um, I, I do wonder if, if he doesn't really get his wish and that would, that would really bum me out. You never want to root for injuries, but we need a couple to get Joey Votto on a team. Yeah, <laughs> I think that is probably the best way to put it. So we hope Joey finds uh, finds a spot uh, in the near future. All right, Jake, let us take a break. And when we return, we're going to hit three big extensions that happened because uh, uh, they're, they're pretty important. We'll be right back here on Baseball Barbecue. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on the driver who treats the highway like a racetrack and the shoulder like a passing lane. 
Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate. Not available in Alaska or California. Subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors, which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates in Northbrook, Illinois. And welcome back to Baseball Barbacast. Jake Mintz, Jordan Schusterman. Let's talk about some extensions before we open up a can of Goofy. Jose Altuve, Bobby Witt Jr., and Mitch Keller are the three big ones we got to talk about. Let's start with Altuve. No introduction needed. He stays an Astro. Astro for life. Five more years, $125 more million through 2029, which will be his age 39 season. We were coming into this year with both Altuve and Bregman as impending free agents, and it felt like the Astros were going to have to pick one of them. Signing Altuve to an extension does not necessarily mean Bregman's gone. It does smell like they have maybe picked him over Bregman, though. Yeah, I'm not surprised that they prioritize him, and it's not that Alex Bregman doesn't mean a lot to Houston as well. He's obviously homegrown um, in a very similar way. And by the way, it's not like they have an obvious Alex Bregman replacement. You know, it's not like okay, now it's time to kind of turn the page. Like Alex Bregman is still one of the best players in baseball, and we are still going to be talking about him. Uh, you know, moving forward, Jordan, they don't really have a replacement for anything. That's a longer conversation <laughs> is that the Astros organization over the last couple of years has yeah. uh, tailed off their uh, the below the surface. Things are not exactly at their healthiest, but we can talk about that at another time. Altuve legend, future Hall of Famer, <laughs> Boris through John Heyman uh, <laughs> tweeting that uh, Altuve is the first third baseman in baseball history to Second reach 300. Thank you. The first second baseman to reach the $300 million mark. That's pretty cool. Second baseman usually don't get paid that much. So congrats to Scott and Jose and John. A tweet from Chandler Rome I liked, which was from Altuve. When I got called up in 2011, they told me it was something temporary until they found another second baseman. They still don't have another second baseman. The Altuve story is badass. I'm glad he gets his money. He has him in my mind emerged from the Astros can banging scandal about as well as he could have. I, I like Jose Altuve and I'm not sorry about it. Bobby Witt Jr. Bobby Witt Jr. This is the big one. Okay. 11 years, $288.78 million. I love the 0.78 because that's $780,000. Okay. $780,000. Uh, that is the guaranteed money. It can max out with options and escalators, et cetera, to $377 million over 14 years. The Royals keep the face of their franchise in town uh, until we all turn to dust. Yeah, and this is essentially the, the Julio contract, uh, except for Bobby Witt Jr., except they're doing it. After Bobby Witt had, you know, an even more substantial breakout, I mean, this is the kind of thing that had they gone to him a year ago, they probably could have saved the hundred million bucks. Uh, but instead, and maybe they did. Maybe we don't know it's possible that Witt already turned something down. Like, I, I don't know. So maybe that's unfair to Kansas City. But credit to them. Credit to John yeah. Sherman. Credit to this ownership. Credit to this front office. Credit to Bobby Witt Jr. for saying, this is the place where I want to bring this franchise out from a very, very dark period. I am that good. I can break through and kind of be a singular talent that is the face of this franchise. For Because listen, you could say, oh, what's the big deal? He still had four years until free agency. When a player is this good and in a small market in any sport, and this is much bigger issue in, NBA, in the NBA, obviously. But you know it's going to be like, okay, like it's Bobby Witt. Like there's no way they're going to keep him. And, and by the way, sorry to say this, Jake. You, we're going to hear this about the Orioles guys already, right? Like this is already a thing that we're saying about Adley and that we're going to say about Gunner and whatever. And hopefully new Orioles ownership can recognize that and have a similar reaction. But for this, when it's so obvious, you know, when you have the shortstop, when you have a power speed dynamo like Bobby Witt Jr. who has already shown how quickly he can improve – you know, defensively and with every part of his game, he can absolutely be one of the best players in baseball. And uh, I'm just thrilled for Royals fans. I, I think that no matter how this kind of interesting offseason of spending goes for them this year, they know they have their guy and, and I'm excited that he'll be there. Anytime a player signs an extension, 
and we can have fewer tweets underneath player highlights that say future Yankee. Oh, it's it's oh. a good thing. It's a huge win for for all of us. So congratulations uh, to the Royals fans for not having to deal with that. And by the way, it is cool that, you know, him and him and Pat Mahomes will both be just balling out in Kansas City for the next decade. Plus, uh, might be a while before Bobby Witt's winning quite as much. Um, but Kansas City's cool. How about that? I know a part of this, too, is there's a lot of going on with, you know, the new stadium. You're, you know, you're looking for public funding. That's certainly a, a more complicated issue that is probably not entirely unrelated. Uh but the simple fact is Bobby Witt, it, again, like I, I knowing it with Julio as a Mariners fan, it is the most comforting thing in the world to just be like, yeah, he's just going to be my favorite team forever. That is an incredibly cool feeling. And I'm, I'm glad Royals fans have that, too. I will take the under, though, on Bobby Witt rings uh, three. I'll take the under on three. <laughs> Mahomes is a three. I'll take the under uh, on that. Uh, yeah, the I other mean, thing I want to point out is you make, uh, you know, the notion that the Royals wasted or could have saved $100 million if they had signed this last winter. It's a great lesson to all you kids out there. Don't procrastinate. <laughs> you could lose $100 million. <laughs> it's really that simple. Uh, it is really that simple. Uh, another team that probably could have saved some money if they did this extension a year ago is the Pittsburgh Pirates. Not that the Pittsburgh Pirates need to be saving any more money than they already are. Uh, but they shell out a nice chunk of change for right-handed pitcher Mitch Keller, who really broke through in 2023. He's one of their top prospects for a while. He kind of took his lumps and then really found another gear with them in 2023. They give him a five-year, $77 million extension, buying out three free agent years. Uh, of course, he could still hit free agency, you know, entering his age 33 season. So it's not like he's necessarily a pirate for life. Still a contract that they could probably trade if they want to keep being cheap. But let's stay positive here. Mitch Keller, another guy who clearly has embraced being, you know, one of these, these young success stories unfortunately, relatively rare success stories, you know, on, on, on the mound for the Pirates recently. And hopefully he will stay there uh, through the through the duration of this contract. Unlike guys, you know, like Eric Cole, like Tyler Glass now uh, and beyond. So we love Mitch Keller. I mean, his his development story is, is really special. You know, kid from Cedar Rapids um, who really kind of took time to kind of establish himself in the big leagues. But he's really good. He's really, really, really good. And uh, if the Pirates are going to have any chance uh, moving forward, he's going to be a huge part of that. So I'm looking at uh, real estate right now in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, um, <laughs> on unidentified internet real estate website, and uh, 77 million can go quite a long way. I, I you have can to buy a 223 acre lot of farmland <laughs> yeah, just outside of town, just outside of town for 7.5 mil. So Mitch Keller, if you're looking to f farm. Yeah. Some crops on the side, my dog. I don't, I don't know uh, there's where. Some options for you. As far as like you know, Midwest boys, I don't know where Mitch Keller falls on the, you know, hunting, farming, baseball player spectrum. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm honestly not sure, but I do know that at the very least, he can get himself uh, a nice, a nice home on you know the North Hills. Uh, Pittsburgh's got some nice neighborhoods, and yeah. I'm sure he will be uh, living quite well. With 77 million dollars, Mitch Keller will be. Just chilling in Cedar Rapids. <laughs> uh, wow, what a throwback. Uh, let us now move on to a couple other fun topics. Let's let's get listen. We, we weren't going to lead with it, but we have to do a little bit of a, a uniform update, a pants update, if you will. Although this is less about the pants and more about the letters. When we returned on Monday, we, of course, talked about the new baseball uniforms that everybody's really pissed about. Of course, we talked about the see-through pants, and we talked about the letters on the jerseys, which are smaller and just don't look quite as good. But we hard also to read. mentioned they're hard, hard to read. Hard to read. They're hard to read. They just don't look great. But we also mentioned on Monday that one team in particular, the Kansas City Royals, seemed to have decided, you know what, we're actually not going to do that. In their first spring training game, we saw Cole Reagans pitching, and the, the, the that R A G A N S just looked enormous. It was huge. It was the Biggest nameplate we've ever seen in Major League Baseball. See it from space. You like can the see Great Wall of China. And we were like, okay, is this what is going on here? Uh, this is clearly not the lettering that the rest of the league is using. Um, and it turns out, thanks to some wonderful reporting from Paul Lucas at UniWatch, who if anyone's going to do this, it's going to be Paul, uh, who straight up asked the Royals and was like, hey, what's what's going on? 
And hey guys, like, them letters, <laughs> them letters big. They're like, we're we're not crazy, right? Like those letters are still pretty. Those big. are bigger, right? <laughs> and uh, apparently, the Royals were like, yeah, they are, because we told MLB it is really important for us to have letters that I guess better reflect, you know, the spirit of the Kansas City Royals uniform. And apparently, Major League Baseball was like, okay, fine. <laughs> So, so apparently, thanks to some hard lobbying, um, the Royals are just going to forge ahead with this, which isn't kind of an amazing, first of all, hell yeah, Royals. Uh, I guess like you don't know if you can't ask, right? Maybe all these other teams are just haven't even asked nicely or lobbied hard, but I'm just fascinated as to what kind of precedent this sets maybe for the, for, for the better that now it's be like, uh, why can't we have this? Why can't we? And, and I just don't know where this is going to lead. I'm, I'm very fascinated as to what the next step is in this, in this saga. Um, and, uh, and I, by the way, I saw the Padres were also just wearing last year's pants. Like some teams are just deciding like, screw it. We're just going to wear the old pants. So this story is not over, but we have to give our hat tip to the Kansas city Royals for saying, uh, no, our letters need to stay large and in charge. Thick pants and big letters. The baseball season has returned. Good time to remind everybody that there are new City Connects coming this year. MLB launched this initiative a couple years ago. Fun uniforms for teams. We now have two clubs remaining that will not have City Connect uniforms. And they are predictably the uh, A's, the Oakland A's, who are leaving. They are quite They're literally city, unconnected. City disconnecting. Yes. City disconnecting. Yes. Uh, they should just get uniforms that say Las Vegas at this point. And of course, the New York Yankees, who changing anything about their uniform is an affront to humanity <laughs> and democracy. Unless, I don't think. Go ahead. Unless it's an advertisement on the sleeve. No, no, no. no. I was going to say unless it's making the road jerseys make it look like Mickey when Mickey Mantle wore them because we know sure. that they are changing them to that. But the Yankees holding on to this, which, by the way, it is also a reminder that the Yankees are probably sitting here like, ha, ha, ha. Look at us. We don't have names on our jerseys. We don't have to deal with the small letters. All you little, you know, small town franchises having to deal yeah. with your crappy little letters. Not our problem because it's not about the name on the back jake it's about the ny on, on the front the front <laughs> it's about the these food stripes which you have to Woo! earn it's uh, anyway okay that's the yankees but they will never have city connects i'm confident it's the same reason they are never going to have fan fest because they don't need to because they have so many fans everywhere and they don't need to you know even bother organizing such a thing um the however, yankees yeah let's well, like the yankees should tease city connects <laughs> and say like city connects dropping on this date and then just Tweet a picture of the same uniforms they've worn for a hundred and whatever years. <laughs> We're never changing, baby. Uh, that said, uh, to, to the point about them not having a fan fest, this is also a time to mention the A's held a fan fest. The A's yeah. fans, not the A's, very much not the A's, held a fan fest uh, in Oakland uh, over the past week. And it was just so awesome. Uh, Mayor Shang Tao was there. She was she was wearing, I believe, an Oakland Bees hat. I know that there's a we're going to have a team, um, I believe, an indie ball team, uh, the Oakland Bees. They're going to be playing still in Oakland, the Oakland area. I just love A's fans so much. And it is a reminder that while they are still playing in Oakland this year, we are going to hear these fans have their voice heard. And let us just say this saga is also not over. This stuff in Las Vegas is a mess. Do I think they will probably still end up there somehow? Yes. But man, is it getting ugly and ugly and ugly and more embarrassing by the day. And I am just glad that the Oakland fans continue to have their voice heard um, because they are some of the best fans in baseball, without a doubt. And I hope that they can continue to show that. So shouts out to those A's faithful. From one disorganized organization to another, let's talk about the Washington Nationals sign. Mm, let's do it. Let's do it. Okay, so. Uh, the Washington Nationals have been in a deep rebuild since trading away Juan Soto on purpose. Some of those uh, fruits have begun to, have, you know, we've started to see them. All right. A nice, nice little day from James Wood. We were seeing, you know, Dylan Cruz is looking pretty good. McKenzie Gore, whatever. Okay. There's some reasons to be optimistic. CJ Abrams, whatever. However, the leadership in this organization, Mike Rizzo, Davey Martinez, of course, still there since they won the World Series in 2019. They are one of the few organizations who at least publicly have decided to stay as old school as it gets. And the latest chapter in this story is Mike Rizzo at a off-season, kind of like a pre-spring training season ticket holder event, was on stage with Davey Martinez talking about, you know, what is going to be emphasized as the Nationals try to improve on the mound, something that is important. 
Mekers, it was talking about the importance of throwing strikes, which is true. Oh, he's true. Yeah. But the set, but but what he ended up saying, which ended up just being an all-time zinger, was he said, I don't care how hard you throw ball for. Now, this a line delivered in front of a live audience that people could be like, ha ha ha, it's true. We don't care about how it's not about velocity and chasing, you know, 100 miles an hour. It's about throwing strikes. It's true. He's right. That's fine. That's a fair sentiment. However, to take it to the level of putting a sign that says your own quote behind the bullpen looming over the catcher's shoulder that every pitcher has to look at during their spring training bullpens to not throw a ball for in bullpens. Very strange. Don't be, I don't care how hard you throw a ball for is worthy, by the way, with that sign next to all the Edgertronic cameras and Rapsodo equipment is objectively hilarious and we have to talk about this jake uh, i know you have asked a lot of people around the game about this why is this funny why is this worthy of scoring why is this also worthy of you know i think worthy discussion about why this is you know part of the pitching development discourse and as it relates to a team like the washington nationals in coaching let's start there in coaching negative cues are generally bad if I tell you don't throw a ball, you are then thinking about a ball. If I say don't think about the Roman Empire, okay, now you're thinking about the Roman Empire. If I say don't think about Mark Gruzelanik, what's in your head? Okay. Damn it. What early 2000s second baseman is in your head? Okay, it's the one I just said. And so if you're on the mound and you see a sign that says don't throw ball four, you're not exactly going to be pinpoint command. And it is indicative that the Nationals organization from a player development standpoint, not from a player acquisition standpoint, from a player development standpoint, is behind the times. That has been reported out by various uh, members of the Washington Post over the years. I think that there are people within the Nationals organization who are more open-minded and progressive and technologically savvy than leadership. I think that Mike Rizzo saying this in public is not a problem. Conveying this sentiment to fans is funny. Conveying this sentiment to players is way less than ideal and I think detrimental. Look, it's the Nationals are not going to win the division this year, and it will not be because of these signs, okay? These signs are not going to help or hurt the rebuild. However, it is indicative of a larger issue at play within the Nationals' apparatus, I believe. Yes. If these signs were at Dodger camp or Mariners camp or Guardians camp or an organization that has shown a, an ability to develop pitching, I would think it's funny. But because the Nationals put it up, I'm worried. Yeah, but again, I think it's important to note that the Nationals, they have shown signs. Again, have we seen it succeed at the big level yet? No. They've made a lot of hires in their front office. They've turned over a lot of their player development staff. And so I do believe that there's parts that are heading in the right direction, and that's good. However, it, w what is so funny about this is that Mike Rizzo can't help himself, right? He knows that he's still in charge and he still wants to make sure that kind of his view of stop chasing this, like we got to throw strikes, which that's where it comes back to the player acquisition part, which is it is objectively funny that this is also a team that has targeted guys that throw really hard that don't throw a lot of strikes. And so the, the, the inconsistency and, you know, I won't call it hip, you know, hypocrisy, but it's just like the mixed messages. And I think that that is going to be the most important part. If you really want to take this seriously, the most important part about the Nationals moving forward is how does Mike Rizzo's leadership and his vision for what is important mesh with a lot of the new hires that they've made at the player development level? Because ultimately, while they have collected a lot of really excited young hitters, and, and I do think that in, in some ways they have still had an eye for real high talent. They're going to have to get outs and they're going to have to find ways to get outs that isn't necessarily just getting guys that were top prospects or that throw hard that have good stuff. It's so much more than that if you're going to succeed in the major leagues. And, and that is what we're going to have to see is, is at the major league level is that guys are getting better and the guys are finding ways to improve. And that's the part that I think we just we, we don't know yet. Right. They, they, we, we have to see that. That's the where we can hold the Nationals accountable uh, moving forward. But for now, uh, we can just laugh at the sign because it is funny. 
I will say that people around baseball are very much laughing at the sign. I had someone with another organization, an organization that is good at pitching development, uh, say to me, we want to make sure it's that say, we care how hard you throw ball for. Uh, <laughs> yes, if you yes. look at, uh, uh, here's look at fastball. I think this, there was an, a really good article on fan graphs about this. Yes. Yes. Uh, by Davey Andrews. That was basically like, here is how hitters perform in three ball counts, depending on velocity. And exactly. as is the case, the harder the pitch is, the worse hitters are against it. So throwing ball four, or at least the pitch on a three ball count does indeed matter. Let's move on. Spring training games have started. Spring training games are 99% irrelevant. Okay. However, okay. So let me just say, why are they mostly irrelevant? Uh, Hitters are just trying to ease their way back into it. Guys are not trying to win. That's a big one. Uh, and they're only playing a couple innings. It's not really a results-based thing. Where does spring training matter? Spring training, in my mind, matters with pitch shapes, pitch velocity, new pitches, injuries, mechanical changes, and then young players facing competition they've never seen before and can they do can they do this at all and we've gotten a couple interesting tidbits so far and we'll fly through them here carlos rodon who was really bad a year ago in his first year with the yankees has added a cutter uh he threw five of them in his first outing the other day of the spring uh one of them was a home run results don't really matter i wrote at yahoo uh, about whether or not Rodon adding a cutter is going to be helpful. Dug into, you know, Rodon's numbers from last year. I think the cutter will be helpful. It's not going to be the be-all, end-all. He just needs to kind of be more deceptive with his fastball was kind of my conclusion. Yeah, and I would just say, again, this is an overarching thing. I totally agree with your assessment of, like, what we should care about in spring training because this is why the results don't matter because the pitchers are explicitly, not only are they building up, they are explicitly working on things. They are not trying to get outs they, they are not reading a scouting report for the double a guy that they've never seen before to make sure that they get him out that's just that's just not their focus right they just they're trying to see where but but that doesn't mean that we cannot look at their stuff and the kinds of pitches that they're throwing and say okay that is different it, so that that is where we can we can care spencer strider showing a curveball yep. a pitch mm -hmm. that i don't think he threw at all last year mm -hmm. that is very very relevant could be important. Now, Rodon might scrap the cutter before opening day. Yeah. And We've this might not matter at all. Plenty, plenty of times, right? Guys trying Tons out pitches and then they don't actually use them. But that that's in terms of assessing pitchers, I think that is the only way we should really focus on things. Speaking about assessing pitchers, Alec Manoa, who is one of the few pitchers in baseball that was had a worse year than Carlos <laughs> Rodon in 2023. Uh, True. He did not look good in his first spring training outing yesterday. I believe he hit three batters. In the first inning, looked out of sorts. It's very early. We as a podcast are rooting for Alec Manoa. I, I this is a pro Alec Manoa forum. Yeah. Not an encouraging well, first outing. I, I agree, but I believe he led the league in hit by pitches when he was good. So uh, the the plunkings by themselves are not are not concerning. For him again, it's gonna be about the velocity and generally I would the say command. So um, Jordan, I would say three hit by pitches no, in no, one no, inning I, is concerned. <laughs> I'm not. Trust sorry, me, I that I was my college career. Was that? <laughs> I don't mean to sugarcoat it too much, but uh, I just wanted to say that he is someone we've we've seen. Uh, you know, if Shane Bieber started plunking guys left and right, I'd be like, "What in the world is wrong with him?" Um, so that's a little bit different. But anyway, no, Manoa's one. And now again, some guys are because him and Rodon are guys who have huge spotlights on them, right? That's the other reality and kind of dumb part and unfair part about spring training is that the best pitchers, when they get rocked, nobody cares, right? Nobody cares whatsoever. They're like, oh, it's fine. He's working on stuff. But if you're Manoa and Rodon, we're watching a lot closer. Some of that's fair uh, and some of that uh, is not. The one other spring training thing, Tamar Johnson, uh, top hitting prospect with the Pittsburgh Pirates, number four overall pick in the 2022 draft, went yard twice yesterday against the Blue Jays, one on a high fastball on an 0-2 count, the other against a left-on-left -left slider, both very impressive. He was fine last year, didn't quite show the ceiling that he had as an amateur, but boy, oh boy, 
reason to get excited because he looks good. Yeah, I mean, I've been the highest on Tamar since he was an amateur. I don't know, man. I mean, he was 19. Like, it was a slow start. Obviously, the power was going to be suppressed in, in the Florida State League. He finished the year with an 860 OPS in A-ball. He walked 101 times. I mean, this is a, a very unique offensive profile where he has this power, but he's obviously a smaller guy, second baseman. Just an incredibly fun uh, hitter. To oh, watch. yeah. I don't know if he's going to necessarily impact the, the Pirates this year, but I still am pretty optimistic about him being a big part of their future. Tori Lovello story. Educate <laughs> yes. me. You just put this on the dock. I haven't watched this Okay. Yet. This is a callback to one of our favorite moments of last postseason. Basically, Tori Lovello uh, spoke after uh, the Rangers and D-backs played in spring training. And he told a story about Blaze Alexander, uh, one of their prospects, who kind of came up to him before the game. And he was like, hey, like, World Series rematch. Like, this is like a big deal. And Lavello kind of talked about how he was like, you know what? I didn't really think about that. And yeah, it's spring training. Okay, whatever. But Lavello, in telling the story, uh, said something that uh, made my ears uh, perk up a little bit. And he is recalling how he felt when the D-backs lost the World Series. And he said, uh, to, to, to quote him, he said, yeah, you know, I thought back and I remembered that the last time, you know, we faced these guys, they beat us to advance. <laughs> and I heard him say they beat us to advance. And I was immediately ripped back to our favorite quote of the 2023 season. That was Evan Carter in the minutes after winning the World Series saying the words, jobs not finished. And when I heard Tori Lavello said that the Rangers beat them to advance, I thought, Tori, do you think there was another round? <laughs> like, that was it, my guy. Do you think that the Rangers advanced to what? Advanced to the parade? <laughs> <laughs> there's no there's no Club World Cup in baseball. As, as, we, as we referred to it uh, when we talked about Evan Carter, the intergalactic series. Um, I don't know when or where that is played and between who, but I just had to bring it up because I will never stop laughing at Evan Carter saying jobs not finished after winning the World Series. Um, so yeah, anyway, thank you, Tori Lovello for continuing that, that, that lore. <laughs> you don't get to play the LG twins for the world world series. You should, okay? you should, you should though. Uh, right. last thing before we get out of here, Jordan, I just have yes. a quick little story. Please. For those of you who listen to the podcast, you know, I coach a lot of youth baseball. Okay. I'm on the board of Harlem Little League here in New York. I spend, uh, a lot of my free time hitting fungos and coaching the game. I enjoy it quite a bit. We are doing, uh, assessments. For Harlem Little League right now for the upcoming season. Uh, they're not tryouts, Jordan. Everyone gets to be on a team, but we do assessments so that we can know kind of how good players are so we can make the teams fair, right? That seems like a reasonable way to handle that. I had a kid show up yesterday, seven-year-old, uh, with a baseball glove. First time playing baseball. And this kid threw right-handed, was a right-handed uh, player, and had the glove on his right hand. Very normal. Again, very normal for seven first time playing baseball. Right. And I said, that actually goes on the other hand. And he said, no, it doesn't. And I said, no, 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 it, it does. He goes, I don't believe you. You're wrong. Hell yeah. And I was fight the power. I, I was like, <laughs> okay. Now, Jordan, what would you do in this situation if you're me? So my first question, he, he, like this went on for a while, like this child was refusing to put the glove on the correct hand. Yes. Well, well, but my first question is, was it actually a righty glove? Like it, it was it, for, it was supposed to be on his left hand. Like, you know, you understand what I'm asking? Like, yes, was it actually, okay. Yes, okay. Yes. So he was basically trying to put his right hand into a left-handed glove. He was doing like a Jim Abbott situation where like he was taking the, he would like ca try and catch the ball take it off and then throw with his right hand and then put the glove back on like the incorrect hand. Should I just let this kid cook? <laughs> so, oh, he, so he won. Like you didn't get him to change it. I had a conversation <laughs> with his parents at the end of the day to be like, just so you know, like it goes on this hand. Right. And they probably were like, yeah, no, we, we know. Like, now yeah, my question is, him. how was his throwing? He's um, a right-handed thrower. Okay, and but did he feel that? Like to me, the moment when I'm seven and I realize, like, damn, Coach Jake's probably right about this, is when I start trying to throw left-handed. Correct. But this kid was throwing right-handed. He was throwing right-handed, and he made a great point to me, which was, 
shouldn't it go on my stronger hand? Shouldn't the glove go on my stronger yes. hand? Yes. Which is intuitive. If my right hand is better, yes. I should catch and throw no, it. hundred percent. When you're seven, like, again, <laughs> this is a moment that happens with most people playing baseball for the first time. So I don't blame this kid whatsoever. But storyline to watch, sounds like. Yeah, keep an eye on this kid. <laughs> okay, big okay. spring storyline. Okay. If, okay, if I see him during the season, you know, just throwing and catching with the right hand, I'll or, let everybody know. Or this is like a, you know, a, a superhero origin story, like Billy Wagner, you know, he broke his, you know, he broke his right hand or whatever, and then he's like, all right, I guess I'll throw lefty, and then this, you know, kid becomes one of the greatest left-hand pickers of all time. That's what I'm rooting for. Um, but I am not super optimistic about that. So we'll yeah. see, though. Thank you for sharing, and, and we'll definitely check back in. We'll see how good of a coach I really am. <laughs> Thank you all for listening to this week's episode of Baseball Barbacast. Remember, you can email us at baseballbarbacast at gmail.com. That is B-A-R-B-Cast. Subscribe on YouTube. Yes. Yahoo Sports on YouTube. You can watch us on YouTube. To all the yeah. people on YouTube. Yes. Hello. Hello. We're, we're saying goodbye. Again, leave us some comments on the YouTube. Again, you can subscribe. We've got a whole playlist on the Yahoo Sports channel. Uh, you can email us at baseballbarbecast at gmail.com. Thank you. I to said Bre that. I okay, said well, that. Well, good. I, I'm glad. And I'm, I'm, I'm reminding people that that, that email Ugh. is still alive and well. Uh, thank you to Brett Rader for producing this episode of Baseball Barbecast. And we will be back on Friday because we get to do this podcast three times a week. Thank you all for listening. And we'll talk to you soon. Goodbye. Remember, the glove goes on the other hand. Other hand goes on your foot. Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig. Inspiring kid confidence.